This is the After Hours Director Spotlight, presented by Amro Music. It's the podcast where we chat with music educators to celebrate the joy of teaching music and learn about strategies for success. In this episode, Nick Averwater talks with David Adelet, band director at Siegel High School in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the sixth largest city in the state with a population of just over 150,000, located 35 miles southeast of Nashville. In this conversation, David talks about the lessons he learned as a school administrator that have made him a more effective band director, the importance of collaboration between different artistic disciplines within a school, and more. Our conversation is broken up into two episodes, and this is part one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Conversations for Music Educators. I'm excited today to sit down with Mr. David Adelet, the director of bands at Siegel High School. David, it's good to see you tonight. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm excited. And I should say welcome back because I know you have been a clinician on the webinars and now we get to sit down and do kind of a deep dive on uh, on you as an educator. So we're excited to have you. I'm excited too. It's, you know, I've got a fond place in my heart for folks that are in the West Tennessee area. I started teaching there. My wife's from there. And so, uh, and you can't get good barbecue in Middle Tennessee. So uh, yeah, I'm always going to have a fondness for uh, from that part of the country. Well, that might be the best compliment I've ever gotten on the show because I've had Martin's Barbecue and it's pretty good. Yeah, but that's talking you guys, though. That's right. But we're not here to talk about food as much as I would love to. It's a favorite topic of mine. We're here to talk about you, man. So for our listeners that may not know you, why don't you just kick us off with a little background? You know, what brought you to Siegel High School, where you are now? Perhaps who were the educators that influenced you along the way? And how do you try to emulate that teaching style uh, today in the classroom? Uh, my high school band director was was named, a guy named Fred Barlow, and uh, Mr. Fred Fred was great. He was a young band director when he started, and uh, he was incredibly enthusiastic about about band. I'm from Hickman County, Tennessee, which is a small town, sort of between Columbia and Dixon. And uh, on our school bus that I rode, it was bus 35. Uh, there were three band directors that are all about the same age that came off that school bus. And it's because we just loved our band experience in high school with Mr. Barlow. Mr. Barlow is now a principal at a middle school here in, in Rutherford County. And so he's he went the administration route and is doing a great job there. And so uh, I went to MTSU in Murfreesboro and was there for a few years. And then we won't say how many. Um, and then I started teaching in Lexington. And I was 23 years old, and I followed Lieburn Harris, who was much older and experienced and probably could have run for mayor if he wanted. And so that was, uh, that was, that was a lot of learning experiences and a lot of lessons. Uh, probably the thing that saved me the most, besides my, my wife, who I met there, was Tommy Arendale, my road, my road rep from AMRO. And Tommy would say, why are you doing that? Don't do that. Do this. And... And I just didn't have anybody else really because I wasn't from there. I wasn't, you know, I didn't, go, I, didn't get, I didn't go to UT Martin or Memphis. And so I didn't have the social connections with other directors to really reach out. And Tommy sort of saved me. And John Easley was very beneficial for me as well. Is that now? And now he's my road rep in, in Middle Tennessee. So things come full circle. I was there for four years. Then I moved to Middle Tennessee in 1996 and taught at Overton for a few years with Joanne Hood. Then I came to Williamson County and I was in Williamson County. Uh, from 2007 until uh, this past this past July was my last time in Williamson County, and I did two years of uh, fine arts administration there. And then when the Siegel job opened, 
uh, I had been getting getting sort of the the desire to go back into the classroom, and so everything just sort of lined up from a time standpoint, and so I'm at Siegel now. That's fantastic. Well, I know you and I, anybody who has ever had Tommy as an ed rep, uh, which I think there's many educators out there that can claim that, can sit around and tell Tommy stories all day. Yep. Uh, but he, he was also the one that taught me to be an ed rep uh, as well. I rode with him and just always fun to bump into people who uh, identify as, as somebody that Tommy called on one time or another because he was certainly a unique individual with yep. a big heart. Miss him every day. Yeah. Well, David, so you've spent time in the classroom. You've spent time as on the administrative side, and, and I kind of want to dive in. Um, you mentioned that here that this, this last July you transitioned uh, from that fine arts coordinator position at Williamson County on the admin side into back into the classroom. Let's reflect on that time because tell us a little bit about Williamson County, ultimately the responsibilities that you oversaw and um, the expectations that were on you in that position. There are some wonderful people over there. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of support in the county and the district that comes, from, especially from the parents. And so I, um, I'm glad I spent those two years there. It gave me uh, added perspective from what principals go through, what central office folks go through, and what their decision making is like. That I believe will aid uh, what I do now back in the classroom. Uh, my responsibilities there uh, was the K through 12 fine arts gamut. So visual art in the elementary schools, all the way up through high school band and orchestra uh, and emerging dance program as well, uh, visual art and that sort of thing. So it really was a lot of learning for me. And I found so many commonalities with other disciplines, that, you know, particularly visual art, I think, there were so many there are so many things that now as I'm back in teaching high school band again that from a, the standpoint of how to create a an, an orchestration with a wind band whether it's something that I'm arranging or if it's something that I'm rehearsing on the podium the visual art experience helps with that in terms of just creating different shades and colors and textures and depths there are a lot of commonalities there that I think Frankly, a lot of high school band directors don't see a lot of commonality with uh, what we do in the visual art, but there really is a lot, and we'd probably be better if we spent some more time sort of in that world a little bit. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it was a good experience for me, I, I, and I valued the people that I worked for. My boss was wonderful, and I worked with some other folks there in the central office that were uh, I have the highest respect for. For me, the thing that happened that sort of brought me back to the classroom was we, we started an event called the Senior Fine Arts Showcase where we were going to use, we were going to take the very best 15 or so uh, seniors in our district, regardless of what their background was. So we might have visual artists, dancers, uh, violinists, trombonists, whatever it was, singers, dancers, the whole bit, and do a recital with just those high level kids. And over the process of interacting with those students at the dress rehearsal and at the performance, I just really felt like I was missing that part of what I enjoyed, had enjoyed so much before as a teacher. And so I, when that event concluded, I told my wife, I think I'm not necessarily looking to leave right now, but if the right job came open, I would really consider it. And then the next Monday, um, the Siegel job 
became public knowledge. And so it felt like the right thing to do as far as the time goes. And Siegel's close to my house, and um, I live in Rutherford County and always have. Even when I was in Williamson County, I still lived in Rutherford County. And so it's a little bit like going home because I went to school in Murfreesboro, so now I'm teaching in Murfreesboro again. That's great. You know, another thing I talked to somebody about, too, was – how do I say this? There, my perspective on what it's like to feel stress is different now than it was before. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how everybody else feels stress. I only know myself. But for me, I feel stress sort of like in the space between my eyes. You know, It's like there's somebody living in my head. And that's the feeling of uh, I've got to get things done and there's a list of things that I have to plow through. Before, when I was teaching, I sort of saw that figure or that presence or whatever as an adversary. And after going through a different timeline, as far as work goes at central office, different administration, I mean, different uh, sort of approach to what the work is like. Now I don't see that. I missed that figure a little bit. I missed having that sense of purpose and urgency. Uh, Certainly I was trying to do important work, when I was in central office, but it wasn't affecting like the daily, it didn't always affect the day to day, minute by minute activities like you do when you're a high school band director. And so uh, now I see that sort of as an ally, that feeling, that presence of stress that's, that's helps point me in the right direction where I need to go. That's, that is uh, a way for me to direct my compass a little bit more clearly. And so that's a, that's probably been the biggest perspective change that I've had. Yeah, I think that's fabulous because uh, a lot of people would look at that and they think, "Oh, here it comes again." Uh, but for you, it's it's um, sounds like it's kind of reinvigorating you that you know you're working on the right things and things that you're excited about. Yep. yep. Well, I want to I want to go back to your comments that you mentioned about uh, visual arts because I, I think as a music education community, there's a ton of advocacy work that can be done for music specifically, but I also think there is this bigger picture. Of, of arts holistically, where we're probably leaving opportunity on the table to join forces and, and be a more unified voice, whether a student is engaged with music or the visual arts or dance or performing arts, whatever it may be. They're all wonderful for kids. What does success look like to you, having been in that position where the arts community is more holistic and is moving together? What are the signs that we have positive relationships between music and visual arts how how do you see that coming together? I think it probably starts with relationships between teachers. That would be my first indicator. If I were putting on my administration hat and I walk into a school and had conversations with individual members of the arts department, if their conversations led me towards thinking that they were in a silo every day, as opposed to if they were having collaborative conversations with their with their colleagues across the dif- disciplines, that's probably where I would start with sort of being a, what, what the indicators are. And then I think you would also see it in what the kids are like as well, because if the kids have this sort of um, well-rounded approach where they can be interested in a number of different disciplines and genres, as opposed to more of a us versus them kind of an attitude, which can happen in schools with teachers and students too, where where it becomes, uh, well, we don't like those people and we don't like the orchestra and they don't like us or whatever, uh, how the demeanor of the kids on a day-to-day basis is would probably be another indicator as well. And then I think you'd also see it in just the, you know, 
if all the groups are growing at a level that is uh, kind of equal across the board, if all the groups are thriving, it's possible to have a great choir program and a great band program. You know, if you have, you know, Stephen Covey talks about the scarcity mentality in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that there are folks that have the scarcity mentality that think that there's only a certain amount of whatever to go around and they're going to grab as much of that as they can and forget everybody else. And that's a, for me, that's not the way we should go. We should be more holistic about the arts. And there's research to prove that too. The book, the book uh, Range by David Epstein talks about, uh, the folks that are really are reaching the highest pinnacles in medicine or the arts or science or whatever, athletics even, there, there are so many athletes that are at the highest level of their, uh, their area that didn't really specialize in their sport until later in life. That they uh, played all sports in school, and then later on they began to really uh, you know, excel in what they were doing with their specialization. So that's... I'm rambling a little bit here, but that's the way I would look at it is just, you know, what are the relationships like amongst the adults? What are the relationships like with the students? What are the students interested in? And are the groups at the school thriving? That would be my indicators. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great book, by the way. I, uh, I'm about halfway through it after hearing a podcast on how I built this. So for anybody that's interested, it's a little bit of a twist on the 10,000 hour theory. Uh, so it's very good. Uh, so David, let me ask you this. Do you, I mean, when you were there, did you see, did you see events that were taking place that were like collaborative events? Like continue to help me paint this end zone. Like would there be band and orchestra concerts going on together? Would there be a band concert with an art gallery in the lobby? I mean, how do you, I mean, what's this healthy relationship look like from the parent's perspective? Yeah, I think, of course, now I did this job during really the height of COVID. And so I was a little bit, my my perspective would be skewed on that. But I think events are also a good way to, I'm glad you said that, that's, that can be the product of those great relationships. Um, And we tried to do this in my prior stint in teaching, where we had a fine arts night that featured sort of a a sampler platter, if you will, of all the different arts groups. So it might be the choir sings a work and then there's a, a dancer that performs and it's more of sort of a recital in the round. And that, that was good for us because it allowed us to, um, it allowed our parents to see and appreciate the hard work that goes into uh, what those, those students do. In fact, with this, uh, with this senior showcase that we did this district event this past spring, it was very interesting because for the visual arts students, we had their works displayed out in the lobby of the of the hall where we were. But what we did to really do a deep dive and create a personal connection was to interview those students and let them talk about the works that they created. And then we showed that video during their slot in the recital. So because it's one thing for a musician to look at a painting, it's, it's difficult for a musician to look at a painting, especially a high school kid sometimes because what we do is so activity based. And so you look at a static work of art, it's hard to sort of decipher it, but when you can put a personal touch behind it and, uh, and through an event like what you're mentioning and create a sense of appreciation, uh, then, then you're creating a different, you know, more of a, a profound impact on that idea of appreciation of all the arts. And I just love that so much. And I do think there's just so much opportunity here to create more advocates and uh, for, for the arts generally, but also, um, 
you know, it can also be for music specifically because knowing that we have created advocates of ourselves for the visual arts and the visual arts have created advocates of themselves, of music, and there's a respect, there's a mutual appreciation it only helps to raise that tide that all of our boats are floating on. Absolutely. And, uh, I think there's a ton of opportunity there. So I just, I, I think that's a great reflection as you kind of look back, the opportunities to strengthen those relationships. Well, we're stronger together than we are apart. Absolutely. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and that's the thing that we, it's so easy to get into that sort of me, me, me attitude. It's really sort of the low hanging fruit in many ways of how we go about promoting ourselves. And it seems counterintuitive to really go about it cooperatively sometimes, but that really is the best way to make that long term profound change uh, is not to do it with just me, 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 but we, we, we. So early in your time as an administrator, I had to imagine that there was this epiphany that, that went off that made you think, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that educators do this and that I did this. And I had no idea that this was the impact it was having on the administration. Did you go through that epiphany at, at some point or another? There's two things to talk about here. One is when we went through COVID, how teachers had to reinvent themselves. So I'll do that second. The other thing is just the, um, yes, the, how many times did I hear, and we all heard, my principal doesn't support me, my principal doesn't come to any events, things like this. And so teachers, and, and I've heard this when I was an administrator or just talking to other band directors before. So I would ask the question of these teachers, uh, have you invited your principal to come down and see something that's happening in your class? Did you ask them to come play bass drum in the band class? Did you ask them to come and maybe conduct a march or something like this? Because those kind of things create, again, a personal connection between your program, if you're a band director, and your administration. It, we, we as teachers need to take responsibility for our relationships with our administrators. Because I'll tell you, and this is my central office experience now, they uh, oftentimes, they just don't have time to think about it. They're in IEPs all day long, or they're dealing with central office mandates and procedures and best practices and this sort of thing. Their time is so incredibly limited and they're, and they're putting out the fires, you know, because they go to work with a plan of what they're going to do. And then their day gets rocked by somebody who sets a fire in the boy's bathroom or whatever it is. And so the, the burden of the relationship really should be on us as the educators, not on them, because they just don't have time. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I tell young teachers now is take responsibility for that relationship with your principal. Yeah. And, and, and to just clarify, I think the, the comments and, the, and really my question, it, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly not to cast fault on anybody in this particular uh you know, the direction we're going to this conversation. But it certainly seems like when once you were in that position, I mean, we all have an appreciation, a new appreciation when we actually have to walk in those shoes. And then you walked in those shoes and thought, oh, man, this uh, there were some things that I just didn't see. I didn't know that was going on. And it just changed your perspective. So I think that's a wonderful example of, you know, owning the relationship because the principal is not it's not that they're not interested, not that they don't want to, not that they're not willing. The fire in the boys bathroom is probably a great example, though. Yeah, it's not. I don't. I have not encountered principals really that are anti arts. <laughs> you know, like maybe the perception of the teacher is that, but I didn't encounter that. Every principal that I talked to wanted a thriving arts program. Now, some of them, based on what their background was or how long they've been at the school, might have a different timeline for what that looked like. But the the support is there to be gained. It's just 
we there's probably a lot more conversations we should have about helping teachers and equipping, especially young teachers, to sort of be able to facilitate those relationships. Well, and kind of continuing that thought process, I mean, we talked about owning the relationship, being proactive about inviting administrators to be a part of the program. I loved your example, playing bass drum, conducting a march. I love those examples. Do you have any other examples that you typically share with young educators where you go, hey, here's some more ways that you can really own this relationship and be proactive about strengthening it? I think just sometimes just dropping in and saying hello or, you know, uh, my colleague at Franklin, Jacob Compost, we were doing a, we were doing a work with uh, a chamber group a few years ago and Jacob was great, was great about doing this. He would just take the kids down to the office and just barge into the principal's office and play. And so here's a saxophone quartet uh, playing a movement from Maslanka's Mountain Roads for our principal, you know, and it happened to hit at the right time. That's a big risk, right? Because if something was like really terrible, that could have been bad. But this day it really hit well because she was having a rough day. And so being able to see the level of musicianship that these kids were, that it was easy to see for a non-musician how good these kids were, um, really that helped endear her to the program. And uh, she was a wonderful principal, Willie Dickerson's her name. She's at Central Office now in Williamson County. But it's just taking a risk on some of those things and being a little bit creative. You know, if you've got a if you've got a little clarinet choir, just take them down to the front lobby and have them play in the school, you know, in the middle of the day. What's going to happen? You know, like it's you're probably not going to get fired for that. Right. And so just maybe taking some risks and finding ways to take what we do outside of our rooms and put it somewhere else is good. You know, having kids put your kids in, you know, little holiday groups and have them go, you know, caroling around the neighborhoods. Like there's ways to there's ways to sort of push our performance opportunities beyond just, you know, playing on stage at concert festival. Um, the other thing that became apparent to me as a as an, an administrative position while we were going through COVID was just how much we as teachers are oftentimes victims maybe is the right word of our routines. We get so comfortable with, I'm going to do my fall concert in the third week of September, and I'm going to do this here, I'm going to do this here. And when, and when COVID came along mm-hmm. and we had to reinvent ourselves, how do we still teach the arts in a new framework? That was incredibly challenging. And the teachers, God bless them all, right? God bless every one of them. But some of them were probably a little more flexible than others and were able to sort of sit back and think, what are the most important things that I have to do? Not And not teaching based on the activity of teaching. I always do this then, that sort of thing. But what is the most important thing for my kids to get out of this experience? And then how do I create this in this new, in this new setting? It's really it's really reasoning from first principles. It's not just teaching based on habit or how you're taught, but it's really thinking about what's important and reevaluating and reflecting about what we do and then sort of being creative with that in that circumstance. Frankly, I think we should do it all the time anyway. I think it's important for us to not just not just do the same thing every year, right? Um, in terms of sort of the pace of things, but why can't we, you know, just sit back and create new ideas and new programs and new ways of doing things. And that keeps us fresher and uh, allows us to grow personally because whatever those new endeavors are, they probably are likely to strengthen what we're used to doing as well, or maybe give different context to what we're used to doing. 
That's David Adelit, band director at Siegel High School in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, talking with Nick Averwater. This conversation will continue in the next episode of the After Hours Director's Spotlight, which is presented by Amro Music, a family-owned company since 1921. At AMRO, we work with over 600 schools in seven states to bring the joy of music to thousands of young musicians. And these partnerships make production of the After Hours podcast possible. Our director services department is ready to work with your school, too. Just email alan at amromusic.com or seth at amromusic.com. The After Hours podcast is produced by Nick Averwater, Emily McGee, and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. You can hear many more conversations with music educators at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators just like you can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, Hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.